travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 13, and this is going to be a super fun one. Trevor and I are going to share our tantalizing travel tales. Hi, Trevor. Hey, Scott. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. Where are you? I am in Bangkok for two or three episodes in a row now. Man, you uh, this is like an animal being kept in a cage. You must uh, feel like you want to bust loose. Yeah, I was actually inside for like six straight hours, and it was, it was really, really weird. But you're no stranger to travel. You're taking off here tomorrow or the next day? Yeah, I'm going to uh, Italy for the first time ever, which I'm actually in, I'm kind of more interested and pumped for than I've been for a trip in ages. And I realized it's because I've been lucky enough to keep traveling in Asia where even if it's somewhere new like Sri Lanka last year or maybe Indonesia, it's still I've it's Asia. I'm kind of familiar with Asia. So like I don't know the old world at all. So yeah, I'm uh, off to Italy. Wow. If I could recommend a book for you to read on this trip, because I know you like to read as well as I do. And, and, and in the past you've asked, uh, I've been reading a book called Salt and it's a, it's a history of salt. And so a lot of that takes place in, in Asia because the Chinese were, were big into salt, obviously, but in Europe and, and in Italy in particular. And uh, in the salt book, there's there's maps of Italy from like these different like the regions where they invented Parmesan cheese or something and tells you like the history of Parmesan cheese and how to make it in these ancient recipes with these little villages. Yeah. And I think it would be fascinating to, to explore that area while reading a book about the history of the region in, in a way that ties in like food and, you know, it's something interesting that you would enjoy while you're there. Yeah, well, you know what? I might download that. And uh, I'm in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, as you touched on, and I've got a nice drink for uh, this episode because, you know, travel sets the stage for wild things to take place like few other things can. I mean, you're in new places. You're meeting intriguing people, stepping into the great unknown. You kind of throw caution to the wind. Perhaps you have a few too many drinks, but things happen, doors open, situations arise, and often, sometimes, hopefully, lessons ensue. Yeah, and you know, we, we, we've we kicked this episode around a little bit just because we've been uh, involved in a few travel tales together, one of which uh, I think we're going to share. I'm not so sure anymore. But we've also uh, done a lot of traveling as professionals, yourself as uh, the co-founder of a highly experiential travel company, and you were involved in designing and experiencing and, and training guides and discovering the best noodle stands and blazing trails and meeting interesting people. So as a, a professional, you have some really good travel tales. But I think some of the, the stories you might tell me tonight and our listeners are from your amateur days, yeah? I believe there is an amateur uh, one in there, yeah. And I mean, likewise, if anyone should have some great travel stories, it's you. I mean, you've been a, a guidebook writer for quite a long time. You're just an all-around fun guy. And uh, you literally have to poke your head into all sorts of unknown mysterious places you've stayed in five star suites uh probably more dives than you'd ever care to admit uh, i mean you've done all kinds of activities attractions you are 
a general cultural enthusiast. You love the nightlife. You like staying up till the sun comes up again. Um, yeah, I'm sure you got a couple good ones in the bag too. I've but, stayed. Uh, I've stayed out of jail in many countries. <laughs> yeah, that that is a good record. Uh, before we get too far into it, now uh, this one is uh, brought to you. This episode by Four Rivers Floating Lodge. It's a super cool floating experience in southwestern Cambodia, huh? Yeah, you know, I've never been to the Four Rivers Floating Lodge, but that area of southwestern Cambodia is is certainly just spectacularly gorgeous. It's got some of the, the last remaining old growth forest in the region, and there's lots of exotic wildlife, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's super, and these are luxury floating tents with like full-on couches in them and proper beds and proper bathrooms. You are not roughing it. You can jump right off your balcony in front of your tent into the water, go for a swim, you can paddle. It's only about 30 minutes uh, car ride from the border with Thailand at Hat Lek. So definitely worth going. Thank you uh, to them for sponsoring. So we have hours of travel tales we could probably tell, but we've boiled it down to a, to a few. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, like, uh, it's hard to pick what are the, the best travel tales. And I think some of them are good just because they're funny, and some of them are good because they, they give a little... Uh, moral to the story that that others might want to follow but uh some of them are just plain just crazy and interesting i don't know um the first one we're going to talk about uh which i i guess we'll kick off with you is one that that you recently told me um confidence (laughs) this actually might be the story that inspired the episode yeah i think so And, and these are not our best travel stories they're just ones that came to mind and this is the legend of the golden monkey which goes down in Nepal. And geez, probably 10 years ago now, one of my best friends, Darren Scott from Calgary, Canada, he came on a trip to Thailand and we were down in the Aonang, Riley Bay area of uh, southwestern Thailand. And I don't know why, but we decided we were going to film a James Bond, Indiana Jones-esque kind of movie. And they bought this wooden monkey that's really maybe like 25, 35 centimeters high, and they had it spray painted gold, and this was the object that we were trying to retrieve, and and it ended up being quite a funny video. Uh, My buddy Darren took it back to Canada, had it there a couple years, and then he came back, and he brought it with him back to Thailand, and he actually said, look, you go more interesting places more often than I do, so I'm going to give this thing to you, but you got to take it to do some fun stuff. So, um, Before I went to host some guests on a trip in Nepal, uh, I thought, ooh, I better take the Golden Monkey with me. So it did everything in Kathmandu and so forth. Sorry, just to interrupt you for a second, how how big is this monkey and and what is it? Is it like a coconut monkey, like that kind of Uh, monkey? You know, it is about the size of a coconut. Yeah, maybe 25 centimeters, 30 centimeters high. But yeah, about the size of a, you know, a small to mid-sized coconut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll put a picture of him on the show notes and then everyone knows what I'm talking about. Please continue. Um, so um, we have this trek to do, and it's in the northern part of Nepal. If you follow the highway from Kathmandu towards Tibet, it's just off that road. Uh, it's about a six-day-long hike, and it's in a reasonably remote area. And two or three days into this thing, uh, we've been kind of ascending for a while, and, and there's just this corrugated iron, like you could hardly call it a shop on the side of the trail, and they sell provisions, you know, instant noodles, batteries. You can get a cup of tea. And we, we stop there, we sit down with the guests, we have a tea, take a breather, and, and I take the golden monkey, he's sort of strapped to the outside of my bag, and I put him down in the social setting so he can partake in the tea. And we walk a couple hours after that, we get to our camp, and I realize the golden monkey's gone. Um, and I, I was pretty upset, but I, you know, I was hosting guests, I couldn't really go on. How many it. drinks did he have? 
Yeah, that could have been part of the problem. I was only drinking tea, but I think he might have opened some kokiri rum, which, yeah, that can lead to it. So I kind of go to bed a little upset, a little devastated that I've lost this monkey. So walk for a few more days, trip finishes, I go back to Thailand. And so I, I write an email to my friend Darren and I tell him, like, look, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. The monkey ran away. I, I've lost this monkey. And I actually went on Google Earth. And I sort of, it, it's, I mean, mountainous, remote terrain, but I dropped a pin where I think he was and I sent it to him. I'm like, last sighting was here. <laughs> yeah. So we should put forward. that, we should put that link up on, on the map here. Yeah. We should yeah. share. Well, they'll, at the bottom of this episode, we'll have a Google maps again with the links. Yeah. With where, pins. Yeah. Yeah. Where these things went down. So a year and a half or so later, I'm hosting another group there and we do the same trek. And this trek, by the way, goes to a famous Hindu kind of little temple on a mountain called Kalanchok, if you want to look it up online. And we're walking, we're two or three days in again, and I, I see the tin shack, and I tell the people I'm hosting, I'm like, oh, last time I was here, you know, and I tell them about the monkey and what happened. So we kind of mosey up to the hut, we sit down, and it's super dark inside, and just like the rattiest plywood board kind of shells, and we order some tea, and I look way up on the top shelf, And there is the golden monkey. And what's crazy about it is every item on these shelves are pretty dusty and dirty. The girl, this little girl, remembered me. She brings it down, and it is spotless. This thing has clearly been dusted. Well, they knew it was like a prized possession of yours, I guess, yeah? (laughs) It was unreal. So she remembered me, and I was so happy to see it, and she let me take it back. And so I strapped him to my bag again. I took much better care. And I brought him back, and he lives here in my house in Kuala Lumpur now. But, I mean, this thing was left on a very remote area near Tibet for at least a year and a half and taken perfect care of. And I just often wonder, like, what has this monkey seen and experienced in this remote area for the last year and a half? So, yeah, it must have been pretty you know, remote. Even that she remembered you is pretty impressive. But, like, you're like, very, as soon as you left, she probably was like, oh, my God, that guy I'm left his monkey. Too, right? I, I, yeah, right? So she's like, she dreamt of the day, you know, someday, <laughs> monkey, your, your, your father will come back for you. And Yeah. So you should go visit that girl again sometime, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I do you have a photo? Do you have a photo of that, that, that little noodle? What was it? Like a, it's like a little coffee shop. Not even coffee shop, right? Yeah, you know, I, I'll have to dig through them, and I think I have a photo of the girl with the monkey and everything, so we'll make it part of the photo gallery. And the takeaway is you never know when you're going to meet someone Yeah, that's again. true, huh? Even if it's a little golden yeah. monkey statue in and, and remote areas of Nepal. But that's kind of fun, and, and I like doing those, that, that kind of adventure with, uh, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, with a little bit of silliness involved. Yeah, no. Um, did you know there was a TV show called Tales of the Gold Monkey? I I, yeah, it kind of seems familiar, yeah. But I know that you have a story which almost involves loss, I believe, of a bag. Yeah, well, you know, and that's a good point. Like, when you travel, you should be somewhat willing to, to lose some of the things you bring along. Like, mm-hmm. I think you, you should not necessarily expect it, but everything that you take with you is not necessarily going to, to come home with you, right? Right. Um. But, yeah, the story I'm going to tell about, about my bag, and, and it's called Never Take Your Eyes Off the Bag, mm-hmm. um, takes place in Cambodia. And, and in Cambodia, like, there are some dangers of people stealing your things. It, it's not overwhelming, but you should be careful with your stuff. Um, but this was a little bit more my fault, I would say. No. No. Yeah, well, you know, I, I had to go to 10 cities across Cambodia over 20 days. And for people who haven't traveled around Cambodia, it, it's not really 
simple to get around greater Cambodia. The major cities do have pretty decent roads in between them, but we're still talking on average like six to eight hour bus ride often uncomfortable in between these destinations so to do 10 cities in 20 days was quite a, a whirlwind tour and uh halfway through that trip uh you and i were in sam Reap together and we had a little bit of a tantalized travel tale we sure where we, we, yeah where we snuck into angkor wat from the from the back door pre-dawn and you know I, I i didn't have a pass so i tried to sneak in and then you were coming in after me and the 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 gate came down and clotheslined you on the head. <laughs> in the pitch dark, yeah. yeah. It was cartoonish and uh, amusing, and, and that's a really good anecdote for another day. But about a week later, um, you know, just bouncing from city to city to city, I ended up in, in Battambang, which is the, the second largest city in Cambodia, but not, not a big tourist destination, although there are some really cool things to see there. <laughs> and it, it was just about my last day, and I was trying to get a bus to Poi Pet, which is on the Thai border, and uh, I'm waiting for the bus to leave. It's it's around two o'clock, and I'm like, hey, you know, like where where's the bus? <laughs> and the guy tells me he's like, no, he's like the bus is is leaving from the other bus station now. And and I don't know if they changed the plan on me, but you know, it's Cambodia and expect the unexpected, right? Sure. So I, I jump in a tuk tuk and I cruise across the other side of town, and, and there's a bus there. I I think it was the only bus, and it was running idle. So I, I threw my bag in the underside, and I, and I looked in the door at the bus driver, and and I asked him like, you know, like, hey, what time what time's the bus leaving? And tapped my wrist, and he sort of shrugged at me, and I was like, all right, you know. So I walked over to the ticket window to ask them, like, hey, you know, like, the bus, you know, what time's, what time's the bus going? And they looked at me like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, the bus, you know, that, that, that bus right there. And as I turn around, I realize there, there is no bus there. The bus is gone. <laughs> the bus that I put, yeah, the bus that I put my bag on not 30 seconds ago somehow crept past me, you know, and this is like a big billowing diesel thing that I can't imagine how it, it must have just been travel fatigue you know so now the bus is gone with my bag in it and uh, i'm like oh my god so I, I grab a motorbike guy and i'm like hey motorbike guy i'm like poi pet poi pet and, and he thought me hey, he thought maybe i want to to take a you know several hour motorbike ride it's to like poi pet. 100 like, plus kilometers isn't it yeah but i just want to you know let's go that that direction and, and yeah. i'll be able to catch the bus so so we head in that direction and there's a lot of traffic and I see a bus ahead and I'm like, yeah, yeah, the bus, the bus. And I think he figured it out. So, so we managed to pull in front of the bus and, and stop it. Sounds and run safe the right door. there. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just a tiny little motorbike. Yeah, we stopped the bus and, and the door opens and I look up and, and it's not the same bus driver. Awesome. So, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if this is the right bus. So I'm like, Poi Pat? And the bus driver says, Poi Pat? <laughs> and they like the exact same tone. And I'm like, okay. So I point at the, the underside of the bus. And I'm like, my bag? And uh, he says in the exact same tone, my bag? And he's and driving? Like, or he's Yeah, there's a bus driver. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right. So I just climb aboard the bus. And, and every person on the bus, they're all Cambodian, just bust up hysterically laughing. And, and I took that as a sign that, yeah, this is probably the right bus because – you know, what else could it be? And, and so I rolled into the back of the boat, into the bus. I, it was Valentine's Day, actually, I remember, because I, I wrote uh, a little fairy tale story uh, that's on my blog that day on the bus. Um, but when I got to Poi Pet, uh, I did discover, in fact, that it was the right bus. My bag was on it. And uh, as many travel tales go, that was just the, the beginning of, of, of a much longer day that had all sorts of different trials and tribulations. And I think uh, even... 
you know, you should keep your eye on your stuff. Don't expect all your stuff to, to make it home with you, but but certainly also expect the un, unexpected because, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, a crazy world out there waiting for you. What's silly about that story is it's not like you wandered off to go have a beer or buy something at the mini mart. Like you were literally there and this, like, yeah, like you I, said, I was 20 yards from the bus <laughs> and they are super noisy and whatnot. It just somehow snuck off. Yeah. You'd wonder what I was doing the night before, huh? Hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, that's, that's uh, So is there a takeaway here? Is there a moral? Is there a lesson to be like? I don't know. I think, uh, you know, we talk a lot about taking your time and, and taking it slow. <laughs> uh, and when we give people travel advice and, and trying to do as much as I did on that trip, obviously burn me out. And, uh, also, I think you just got to like when everybody on the bus is laughing at you because you're the idiot who let the bus drive off with your bag. Uh, you got to laugh at yourself, too. Yeah, that's that's great. You did get the bag, though, right? Yeah, it was there. And uh, I ended up not staying in Poipet. I had to huff it across the border because I couldn't get money. And then my ATM didn't work on the other side. And I had to like haggle for a ride home and <laughs> back to Bangkok. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, it was it was quite an adventure. I'll tell you about that some other time over beers. Whew, that is a good one. Yeah, sometimes those travel stories never end, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll throw one in. And this is, like you said, this is from my amateur days, let's say. I was about 22 or 23, and I'd gone to travel Vietnam for a couple of weeks. We went from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh. And me and my friend from Canada, we were in Hue, and uh, we had gotten some Cyclos. And a Cyclo is guy pedals the bike, and you're sitting in front of him in kind of a chariot, and they're inevitably very old bikes that don't ride very smoothly and they're not built for two chunky white westerners and me and my buddy get this guy to drive us across a bridge to a place we're going for dinner to meet a couple other backpackers and i'm sure we have a lot to drink already because i got the idea halfway there that i absolutely should be pedaling the bike much better idea and i think foreigners weren't really allowed to so the guy, he gets in the front of the Ciclo and I pedal and like through a major like traffic circle over a relatively busy bridge and, and we get to dinner and we're all alive and whatnot. So after dinner, um, there's six of us, we get three Ciclos back towards our, our guest house and we get back there and we're stewed prunes by this moment, by the way, I remember. Never. And we get some beer and I think, <laughs> no, yeah, I know what happened. It's hard to believe. And I believe we bought a beer for our sequel drivers because they were nice guys. And then we decide what's a very, very good idea. And this is like three in the morning, I think, is that we should have international sequel races because it was me and my Canadian buddy. There was two Swiss and two Australians. And I guess we'd given enough beer and, and money to the sequel drivers that they thought, well, if we're willing to pay more money to do it and they just have to sit and drink beer, great. So what had happened was that you had to jump on the Ciclo alone, ride it around one full block around this area, get off and pound a beer, and then your buddy gets on and does one lap in the opposite direction, comes back and pounds a beer. And we had... So there are relay races. Yeah, relay races while driving this crazy bike on Vietnamese roads. And I think we probably had like two or three full-on races, so we put back some good beer and... You know, luckily no one no one got hurt. There's no crashes. It was all just fun. But like, this was the United Nations Ciclo race, and not that you should drink and ride a bike, but uh, yeah. Well, at three a.m., you know, in Vietnam, there's not a whole lot of traffic. And, no, no. You know, just so for for people who are listening, the Ciclo is the it's the bicycle with the with the seat in the front for the passenger, correct? Yeah. So you're sitting on a seat in front of the driver, and it's kind of like almost like one of those 
seats for two people on a kiddie carnival ride. Like it's squished and kind of metal. And then the guy's just sitting above and behind you on this bike pushing your weight. So fortunately, you guys didn't have passengers while you were racing, though. We did not have passengers. Yeah, no, 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 no. We were riding the empty craft, but it was, it was still a bit of work. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. You know, and, and that reminds me of the time where, where you drove, drove a tuk-tuk for the first time as well. Yeah, we'll have to tell that full story some other time. But I'd always wanted to drive one. I think I'd been in Thailand 10 years at that point. We came out of a bar along the Chao Phraya River, and uh, we definitely shouldn't have been driving. And I remember I've asked drivers before, and they always are like, no, 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 no. And this guy came out, and right away he's like, yes, okay. And we figured out that he was way more shit-faced than any of us, and that as much as I probably shouldn't have been driving, that guy definitely shouldn't have been driving. Yeah, no, we were better <laughs> off with, with you behind the wheel than, <laughs> than with him. And, and he rode in the back with us, and, and he was laughing and having a good time. And, you know, and that's part of the story, too, I think, with it. Like, once you got in with your Ciclo drivers and, and you treat them like regular people, which they are, you know, and you have a good time with people, they're more than willing to, to let you get a little crazy uh, with them and and. You know, and I think that that's like a good recipe for a fun travel story. Yeah, and the moral of that story is is try local transport. So um, there it is. And I know your next story now goes way back. It's about transport, yeah. Yeah, it goes back to your early, early amateur days, so to speak. That is in my amateur days, too. I like that we're both sharing some of these. Yeah, back in my 20s, uh, I uh, that was my first time to Asia. And, and I hitchhiked around Thailand a bit, and I camped down the entire east coast of Malaysia. And uh, I was pretty much just the hippie, hitchhiking, camping kind of guy. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, you know, like washing my clothes in a river in Sumatra. And, you know, I got to Perth uh, on the west coast of Australia. And I thought I'd give myself a, a shot at trying to find a job, but that didn't really work out. So I needed to make my way to Sydney somehow. And uh, so I put signs up all around town that simply said, I need a ride anywhere. Because uh, Perth is so remote that I figured, you know, if somebody's leaving Perth, like, uh, I'll go and check it out no matter which direction they happen to be going. So I was staying at a, a guest house, one of the, the rare guest house stays I had during, during that 10-month-long trip. And uh, I got a phone call one morning from this very well-spoken Englishman. And uh, he told me that he had purchased a car and a used car, and he was driving it up to Broome, which is way up on the, the northwest part of, of uh, Australia. And there was someone interested in buying, buying it from him there. So he was like, yeah, you know, I've already spoken with a, a French girl who said she's coming along, so it'll be the three of us um, driving from Perth up to Broome through the, the Gibson and, and Great Sandy Deserts. Um, now, this is more than 2,000 kilometers uh, of, of just desert. Think of it like driving through Utah for, for three or four days. Um, Some nice hitchhiking. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing out there. Like every couple of hundred kilometers or so, there's a roadhouse, which is basically just a... Roadhouse. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a bar slash restaurant slash lodging slash place for backpacker serial killers to, to hang out and, and look for prey, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I'd heard some stories about there being backpacker serial killers, like hitchhiker serial killers in Australia in the past. Um, but I've done a lot of hitchhiking and, and you know, I, I've learned to trust my, my gut and my judgment, you know? And this guy sounded like, 
you know, a reasonably nice guy. So the morning that we're to leave, he calls up and tells me that the, the French girl has changed her mind and she's not going to be coming on this trip with us. Um, so, you know, I'm like, all right, that's, that's cool. I, I just, I want to ride. You sound like a nice guy. Let's do it. Come pick me up. So when, when this well-spoken Englishman shows up at the guest house, well, Scott, do you know who the Unabomber is, or do you know what the Unabomber looks like? I, I, Ted Kaczynski, wasn't it? Yeah, he lived in like a little shack with no electricity up in the woods all by himself for, for many years. Living the dream. Yeah, so, so this, this nice man I was about to go into the desert with alone for several days, uh, he had dirty, tattered clothes, this, this unkempt beard, scraggly hair, crooked teeth, and, you know, I don't really remember whether he, whether he was wearing shoes, but but he very well could have been barefoot as well. Right. And, uh, you know, I told this story to somebody just recently, you know, and I told them, I'm like, you know, to be fair, that probably wasn't too far off how I looked at the time, being the the hippie hitchhiker. You know, people were probably just as scared that I was going to kill them as, as I was scared of them, right? Mm-hmm. But you know what? Honestly, Australia is this incredibly friendly place, and and I was treated so well by all the people who picked me up and, and put me up and, and took care of me while I was hitchhiking around. Um, now, this guy, he definitely seemed like the greatest threat to, to do me harm. So I told these Irish guys that were staying at the guest house uh, that I would call them from Broome in three or four days, and, and then if I didn't, that I was probably dead. Uh-uh. Yeah, so for time's sake, I'm going to leave out a lot of the rest of the story because it was just this amazing adventure that I took off on uh, with this guy, Cliff, who turned out to be one of the nicest, one of the most interesting people that I've ever met. Um, You know, the first night that we got out into the desert, I realized that my tent poles were missing somewhere (laughs) in between Singapore and Perth. Yeah, I spent the next four months sleeping out in the bush under the stars in Australia um, but, but Cliff had done that before. Like when he had moved to Australia 20 years earlier, he actually lived with uh, Aboriginal tribes and, and he was a total badass. And, uh, you know, I never ended up calling those Irish guys. So they very well to this day might think I was killed by this scary dude that they saw. Um, but, but it turned out to be an incredible adventure. So, <laughs> so my lesson here is, you know, take some risks. Don't, don't, don't be too stupid, but, uh, appearances can certainly be deceiving. Wow. That is, that is, that is a bit crazy. And I remember when I traveled to Australia, there was some murders of backpackers hitchhiking that happened. So I had no way you're talking. Yeah. About. But you know, and, and I, you know, I hitchhiked and one time these guys picked me up and they, they literally took me on a drug deal and then they brought <laughs> me back to where they picked me up and dropped me off. Yeah. And another time the police stopped, the police stopped and, and were writing some stuff up. I thought they were giving me a ticket and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know hitchhiking was illegal. And they're like, Oh, it's not. And and I asked, well, what are you doing? And he said, Oh, I'm writing a description of you in, in case you disappear. <sighs> Yeah. And then actually there was, I was in a town called Rolling Stone and, and this guy sort of tried to, well, he tried to abduct my bag, you know, never take your eyes off the bag. He, he took my bag and like stuck it in between his legs at the bar on the bar stool and, and shoved me away. He's like, you're coming to work on my farm. Really? And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a kind Is of story in there, but yeah. Ooh, man, we got lots of other stories we have to talk about. Yeah. Well, my next one is, uh, Going back to Thailand, and this one's called Quiet as a Mouse. Um, there's this place, it's a given sanctuary, a place called Highland Farm. 
It's about 40, I say about 43 kilometers. It is exactly 43 kilometers <laughs> south of a town called Mesot. And Mesot is about midway between, say, Bangkok and Chiang Mai on the uh, western border with Myanmar. And I'm quite good friends with the owner there, Kun Parani. And in my travel days, we used to take guests there fairly frequently and, and just visit her on my own time. And every time I would go there, it was a bit of a trek getting there. You had to take like a bus overnight or it just, I was always tired when I'd show up. So I took some guests and this is a country setting. Her house is wood. It's, you know, surrounded by farmer's fields, some thick trees. And then there's given apes in like 30, 40 enclosures. They're hooting and hollering and stuff. And so I get my guides there, my, uh, sorry, my, my guests there, they're all comfortable, get them doing something like, I don't know, preparing food for the animals or whatever, and decide I'm going to get a little nap in here. And I've got the, kind of the really, the best one. It's a room above, sort of the room they prepare the food. It's a nice little loft. And my sheets hmm. have been made up. And I, and I just, yeah, I get in the bed, head on the pillow, and I'm almost asleep when I just, I just think I hear something super faintly. Like, I don't, it, it just kind of like woke me up at that moment before you fall asleep, but I didn't even really know what it was. And I thought, no, 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 no. Like, I didn't hear anything. So probably only like a minute or two later, I'm almost asleep again. But I hear the sound again, but it's way louder. And it's louder enough now I'm like, whoa, like something. Something, something. Yeah, there's definitely some, I, there has been a sound which has emanated from my pillow. And I kind of don't know what to do, but I sort of get up and I just move my pillow a bit and this mouse just bolts. Like it's not a big mouse, but it just bolts and it, it and it's sort of from like the back of the bed. So then I'm thinking, oh man, like, like there's a, there's been a mouse under my pillow. Like this is terrible, right? Like I'm kind of freaked out now, but I look under the bed, no mouse. I look around, no, no mouse. And I'm like, well, I'm in the country. I'm in a country house. Like hard for the course. I'm really tired. I'm like, I'm just going to go to sleep. So I lay down and again, I'm almost asleep and I hear like, am I okay? Like this is not my imagination. I've definitely heard this again. And so I get up and I'm kind of like, man, what is this? What, what's happening? And I'm kind of too scared to just lift the pillow slowly and look. Cause now I'm thinking like, Maybe there's a gang of, of mice in here. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So I decide I'm going to grab the pillow and I'm going to kind of toss it up in the air. That's how much <laughs> of a man I am. Is, there, is, is the bed covered with a mosquito net? Are you like enclosed in there with whatever? No, no there's, there's no okay. mosquito net. I'm pretty free and easy. But So I'm such a man. I decide I'm going to grab this. And I probably grabbed it with like two fingers. Like I don't even want to touch much of it. But <laughs> I, I'm going to like toss it up in the air onto the bed, kind of as far away from it as I can be. So I throw it in the air, and as I throw it in the air, like six tiny gray objects come tumbling out of the pillow. And it was just yeah. like, I imagined like a slow song. Because it was all in slow. These little gray things are like falling in the air. And the whole time I'm kind of like, like, what is, what is this? What's happening? And then, so the pillow lands about 20 minutes later. It's so slow-mo. And <laughs> 20 slow-mo. There's all slow these gray things later. on the bed. And I kind of like look closer and I realize they're brand new born mice. And these things are like kind of still curled in a ball. They have no hair. Their eyes aren't even open yet. And sure enough, on the bottom of the pillow, there's like scratch marks, kind of the fabric scratch, and there's blood. So this mouse has just given birth 
to baby mice in my pillow probably minutes before I laid down for a sleep. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it really threw me for a loop. And I, I nicely went out to talk to my friend, Kunparni, the owner, and I didn't want to freak out my guests. And I made sure none of them heard this story. Or there'd be no sleep for a time there. Yeah. And uh, she gave me some new sheets and luckily I was tired enough. I went back to sleep, but Man, I, I tell you, like that one still sticks out as a, as a pretty freaky tale. Yeah, because you would—that's something you would never expect—is like baby mice in in your pillow. Yeah, you yeah. sure wouldn't. But it makes perfect sense in hindsight, right? Like it, it's a nice, quiet, cozy, protected warm, place. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, the moral is always look under your pillow before you go to sleep. Really? Yeah. Like I do that with my shoes, <laughs> though. I always bang them out, make sure there's no spiders or snakes in them or something. I do too. You could have a bee or something. Well, better it was so. mice than 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 roaches or you know. Baby uh, vipers or something like that, you know. But you know, I've never, I've never been up to Mesot, and uh, you know, it's Marissa, our, our, my hairstylist and, and your former hairstylist, she's up in Mesot right now. Oh yeah, it's a really interesting town. It's great. Um, yeah. So one more story for the uh, for the audience here. Yeah, I'm gonna do a, a Thailand story here that uh, I, I I entitled a fine line between adventure and stupidity. I like the title. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, you know, because a lot of times you you, you want to, especially when you're young, and this goes back to, to that same trip that I was hitchhiking around Australia. It was my first trip to Thailand, and uh, I actually hitchhiked up to, to Pak Chong. I was on my way to Khao Yai National Park. And uh, hitchhiking in Thailand was kind of interesting because they don't really know, you know, like cars aren't going to pick you up. It was, a, it was a pickup truck, some farmers. I just jumped in the back of the truck, and when I saw, like, the Khao Yai sign, I just banged on the, the window, and, and they let me out. And you got to do a lot of walking when, you, when you're going to try to hitchhike around Thailand. Um, but uh, I, I ended up in Khao Yai National Park, and, and they have some bungalows in the park that you can stay in but they weren't like fancy bungalows with beds or anything like that right. it was basically just like a, a, it was on stilts mm-hmm. and uh, it was just like a, a wooden box on stilts with with some screens around the top of it for for windows you know and uh, and that was great for me because I was just camping around so I had a you know thermal rest and a sleeping bag I could sleep on there was three other travelers there with me that were also staying in, in the little bungalow and uh, otherwise, you know, we didn't run into anybody else in the park uh, that day other than some machine gun toting park rangers mm. who told us, yeah, they told us that they were there hunting poachers. So people poach, you know, elephants and uh, bears and, and tigers and whatnot because there's lots of wildlife still in the mm-hmm. park. Um, and, and these guys were looking out for poachers. Mm. So we thought, you know, we thought that was pretty cool. And these guys seemed to be experts in wildlife. Uh, so we were drilling them with questions and, you know, it, we asked about like tigers and apparently someone had been killed near those bungalows. I, I think about a year or two years prior to, to our visit, a tourist had dropped their pen underneath one of the, the bungalows and there was a tiger underneath there, Whoa. you know, just snatched him up and dragged Come him away on. and killed him. And yeah, we thought that was very exciting. So, but the, the more interesting thing they told us was about some elephants that visited a salt lick uh, around midnight uh, down the road from where our bungalows were. So, so we thought it might be a good idea, like, hey, let's go out and, and check out some, some wild elephants because we were young and stupid, and this is our first time to Thailand, right? So before setting out uh, on our little adventure, we talked a little bit about the tiger thing, and, uh, and, and we thought, you know, well, sure, 
tigers are dangerous, but there's going to be four of us and, and we have flashlights and, and we're probably going to be making all sorts of noise that would scare off just about any sort of wildlife, right? So we're walking down this road, you know, headed towards the salt lick and every once in a while your flashlight would go into the woods and some eyes would reflect back at you and you'd be like startled for a second because you'd think it was a tiger maybe. But, you know, there's lots of deer and stuff like that in the park as well. Um, so we, we just crossed over the small bridge with a stream on it. And, uh, and I started to think that, you know, if the elephants are going to a salt lick that's on or just off the road, you know, why would they go through the jungle to get to the salt lick? Wouldn't they just walk down the road, which is unobstructed and, and that would make it much easier for, for them to get there. Right. That makes so, sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. And then I was like, well, what if we come around the corner and the elephants are in the road and, and, and we startle them, you know, like oh, these are wild elephants. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things I'd read in like the, the park brochure was about some some local monk who had gotten in kind of tight with the elephants. And he, he had become so comfortable with them or they had become so comfortable with him that he could put their hand, his hand on their trunks and they, they were happy with that. Um, until one day, apparently they weren't, and, and the monk was <laughs> stomped to death by yeah, by an elephant. Right? Uh. So I was like, you know, maybe it was silly for us to be worried about tigers. Like, maybe elephants are what we should actually be a little bit concerned about. And at that point, there was this, you know, that, that kind of squeak. It's more of a squeak. Elephant squeak. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be fair. Yeah, we heard this kind of the elephant squeak, and, and we all ran back to the bridge and, and huddled together. And we're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? The elephants are going to run us over. So we decided that what we were doing was probably a little silly and, you know, we're there for a couple of days. So let's just, uh, let's call this a fun night out. We'll go back to our bungalow and tomorrow we'll go to the park headquarters and, and we'll ask them what, what they think we should do if we want to go out into the middle of the mm -hmm. night and see wild, wild animals. So me and uh, this one guy, Alan, who I was traveling with, we went to the headquarters and so I, I went up and I'm like, hey, you know, hypothetically, just, you know, suppose we wanted to go walking around the park at night. Um, and, and the woman there, she's like, oh, no, she was shocked. She's like, no, you don't want to do that. Tigers. And I'm like, you know, really? Come on. Like tigers, like there's not that many tigers in the park. And, you know, there's four of us and there's flashlights. And I'm like, totally hypothetically, like suppose there was four of us and, and we had flashlights and we're making lots of noise. Um, the tigers would be scared of us, right? And she's like, no, no. She's like, tigers aren't really afraid of anything. I mean, it makes sense. They're like an apex predator. Yeah, no doubt. You know? So a hungry tiger, you're like, we're like, hey, food here. Hey, food here. <laughs> follow, yeah. follow the lights, you know, which is pretty stupid. So we ended up renting bikes that day and, and doing a little bit of off-road. Have you been like biking around Calgary? No, I haven't. I've been to Calgary. I rode Harley there, but I haven't actually mountain biked or anything there. Yeah, it's like it's Thailand's oldest national park, I believe. It yeah. might even be there. It's one of the, it's one of the largest. Yeah. It is, I believe, the largest. Yeah, and and we uh, we biked for a while, and we found some game trail. Like we just cut off the road. Mm. Like, oh, here's like a little dirt trail. There's a game trail, and uh, we're we're driving along on on the bikes, and and I come across to I guess what what the Australians would call a billabong. It's like where there's a bend in the river that creates like a, a pool where yeah. animals might want to stop and drink, and that's there on my right hand side. And to my left, there's this high grass where I imagined at the time lions might or, or tigers might want to hang out during the day to wait for someone like me to come and drink the water and then jump out and and eat me. You know, like it was the perfect place for for tigers <laughs> right. to hang out during the day. Yeah, so I, I looked down and I saw this big paw 
print in, in the mud, which after the fact I think was was a bear because they have like the black bears, Malaysian sun bears, yeah. things like that. Oh, there. Wow. Um, but but scared the living crap out of me, and I was like, ow, and fucking tiger tracks, ah, you know, we both yeah. like ran off. So, and I'm like, dude, if the tiger, I'm gonna push you over. You know, like <laughs> we had a little rift in our friendship after we realized that like we, we would spare the other for for tiger food if it if it came to that, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the bottom line is there's some really cool opportunities for going to see wildlife in in Southeast Asia, but but cruising around on your own at night in in a national park is probably not the smartest one. No, and you know what's neat? Well, telling these stories is I've just noted enough other stories to have episode two of this at some point. So, man, this was just like we're sitting together in the same town and having a, having a drink and just chit chatting. So I hope people uh, enjoyed some of these travel tales. That was six of them for you and. Uh, We'll come back with some more uh, fairly soon. And, of course, there's some very deep lessons in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, just don't don't be like us. Lots of people are like, oh, wow, you know, your life's so interesting <laughs> and cool. And, and, and I'm like, God, I'm lucky to be alive, to be honest. True, true. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of uh, Talk Travel Asia. We'll be back in exactly two weeks with another episode. So until then, this is Scott Coates in Kuala Lumpur saying thank you and goodbye. And this is Trevor Ranges in Bangkok saying uh, happy and safe travels to everyone. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Camp